Thank you for checking out the Life Church Utah audio podcast. For more information, visit us at lifechurchutah.com. You can also help support this ministry by texting the word LC Give to 95577. I am so honored to be here and to see you wonderful people. We just love you. And the Lord blessed us for 17 years to give leadership to the church and to now see that church moving forward and doing so well under Pastor Rich and and Shelly. Don't you just love Pastor Rich and Shelly and what they have brought to the church? Praise God for them. I taught him well. He wasn't much when he came to me, but... He's come along pretty good. Now, he told me, he says, well, I might get up during your message and, and kind of go around and, and see what's kind of going on and, and chat with, you know, some of the other ministries and workers and so forth. I, I said, yeah. He said, I don't want you to think that I'm mad or I don't like your message. He said, I, just want you, I said, yeah, it's conviction, isn't it? <laughs> you, you just can't handle it, Rich, you know. He, he, he was my youth, but he was under such conviction as my youth pastor that he had to leave and go to another church, you know. So um, anyway, he was a marvelous youth pastor, and we're just so thrilled to see how God has used uh, Pastor Rich and Shelley, uh, not only here, but we've kind of followed their, their lives a little bit. And um, <clears throat> they went up to a church in Minneapolis area and then down in the Chicago area from Chicago back here to the Salt Lake area and just a joy to be able to be with them again and thank you Pastor Rich for the honor of being here and I'm actually here for a dual purpose. Um, we, uh, I continue to serve on the board of Standing Together Ministries which I think a lot of you are aware of and familiar of here. It's an evangelical kind of a unity movement, Mormon transformational movement here and it's it's a powerful 100 or so churches are a part of this in fact i look out and i see my good friend pastor greg johnson is here and jill and his uh, uh, daughters uh, who are giving oversight to standing together and we're honored to have them but we had a board meeting i'm still on the board of standing together and so we have four of those a year two of them i do by phone but two of them i actually fly out here And so we had a board meeting yesterday, and Pastor Rich asked me to hang around. I begged him, please, please, let me come. The the only thing, I I was so intimidated when I got up here in the first service because I haven't preached in a year. It was a year ago last Sunday. Father's Day was our last Sunday as pastors of this church. And um, so, you know, I thought after the first service, maybe it would be a better idea if I had Carrie come up and preach. What What do you think? Okay, come on. <laughs> she just fainted. Yeah. But I won't do that to her. But, oh, it's good to see such a good crowd. You had a good crowd in the first service, good crowd in this service. Oh, man, I'm just excited to see the church going forward. Because what we're all about is reaching the lost, right, and touching lives. And thank you all for being here today. And uh, if you don't like what you hear today, come back next week. It'll improve. So... <clears throat> Now, I used to be when I was your pastor, I would tell you to pull out your notes for today's message, but I didn't prepare any notes for today's message. Well, I did for me, but not to give to you. But we do have uh, the keynote that'll be up on the slides, and you can kind of follow along. If you have a piece of paper, you can write out your own notes. But I thought long and hard about what God would have me to, to share, because Pastor Rich reached out to me probably several months ago, and he said, 
you know, I'd like for you to, since you're in Salt Lake, I'd, I'd really like for you to, to st stay and share with the church on Sunday. And so I really began to pray and think about what God would have me to, to share with you, you know, because I don't get to share very often here. And um, I wanted to uh, make sure that I gave the word that the Lord wanted me to give. And, you know, my mind went back and forth. There's, there's so many topics in, in the Bible, you know, to, which, which one, Lord, do you want me to talk about? It's obvious to you right now what I'm going to talk about today because this is what the Lord settled in my spirit. And you say, well, why would he have you talk about this? It's because I believe that the subject of the rapture of the church is becoming a neglected doctrine within the church world in America today. We don't talk a lot about the second coming of Christ, which uh, is in two parts. First of all is the rapture of the church, and then secondly, uh, seven years later, he comes back uh, and actually establishes his millennial rule upon the planet. So today I'm going to talk to you about the first part of his second coming, which is called the rapture of the church. And I have felt compelled by the Spirit to bring this message to you, because I know a lot of you know about this truth. But it's important that every once in a while we re-engage with something that maybe we know intuitively or maybe we even have studied out, but it's important to be reminded of, uh, of, of these central truths of God's word. And so I felt the spirit drawing me to do this. Now, when I was growing up, you know, one thing I've observed about human beings, including me, we aren't very balanced. We tend towards one side, and then we, oh, we get out of balance, and then we, we go way too far the other way, and then, oh, and that's out of balance, and then we go back. And it'd be nice if we would stop right in the middle and stay balanced, but we don't do that very well. Most of us, it, trying to correct, go too far the other direction. And that's true not only as individuals, but it's true of churches, it's true of movements, and so forth. That's true of governments, the whole bit. And anyway, you know, back when I was a kid, I grew up in the church world, and we grew up, well, most of us, frankly, were poor. We weren't well-to-do people, not in my home church. Um, and, and because of that, we didn't have a strong focus on the world. We had a strong, uh, on the here and now, we had a strong emphasis on the hereafter. Because we were looking forward to something better than what we had right now. In fact, you know, Abraham, as rich as he was, the Bible says that he looked for a city that whose maker was builder his maker and builder was God you know he he wasn't focused on the here and now he had his eyes focused on something greater than the here and now and so even if you are wealthy you can still have a proper perspective but i certainly think growing up in in and i wasn't in poverty but we were poorer uh, lower middle class i would say and we didn't have a lot and so, you know, you were constantly talking about heaven because we were excited about all we were going to have someday, you know. And I'm so grateful that God has blessed us. I'm so grateful that we've, as a, as a group of people, as Christians, we're no longer on the other side of the tracks all the time. But as we've learned to obey God's principles of life, he has blessed us as a group of people. And many of us have seen some improvement in our lives, but... And that's good, and I'm glad that's happened, but there's a danger to that too. Because the danger is you can become too focused on the here and now. Because things are going so well that you don't really think a whole lot about 
the hereafter. It's what's happening. And you get too focused on life right now. And it is my observation, and I'll just go ahead and say it because I'm not a pastor anymore, so I can, I'm leaving. Um, you know, I think American culture is too narcissistic, way too narcissistic. And I, I'll put my feet in it even further. Facebook is one of the biggest culprits for this. It has created an environment where people are so focused on themselves. Now, I'm not saying Facebook is wrong. I'm on Facebook. I'm just not, it's not, I'm not joined at the hip with Facebook. I'll go on it occasionally, but I, there, there are some people, including Christians, who just live on, and they're constantly taking pictures of themselves, and my newest selfie, and I'm not saying selfies are wrong. I'm just saying that if you're not careful, you can become some absor so absorbed in the here and now, and life here, that you forget biblical principles of why we're here and where we're going. Now, when I was a kid, I remember, this is when we were kind of at the other extreme. We, I, I heard the phrase, and you probably have heard this before. They, we, somebody, somebody would say something about another Christian. Well, they're so heavenly minded, they're no earthly good. You ever heard that? They're so heavenly minded, they're of no earthly good. Which means that their, their head was in the sky all the time, and they never, you know, they, they were so focused up there that they never focused on the down here and being God. God's light and, and a testimony of Jesus in the here and now. So they didn't, they, they were unbalanced. They were too focused there, not giving enough thought to the down here. But now the pendulum has swung, and I almost fear it's gone too far the other way, where we've become so focused on the here and now that we forget who we really are and what God wants to do in and through us, that we are on our way somewhere. This is not our destination. The cemetery down the street is not your final destination. Aren't you glad? You know, we are going somewhere. We're, we're, we're on our way through. In fact, I love how the Apostle Peter starts his first, his first letter. And that it's his first letter. That's why they call it First Peter. And, and in chapter 1 and verse 1, he says something so simple. And as soon as it pops up there, I'll read it to you. There we are. It says, he says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to God's elect, that means to the church. Now look how he defines us, strangers. He's not saying God's people are strange. Some of you need to be reminded of that. It, it's not that you're to be strange. It, you're to be a stranger in this world. That is a very interesting definition of the church. We, we, aren't, we aren't bonded to the world. There's a part of us that is the flesh part. But the spirit part of us needs to be constantly growing towards what is to come. I looked at this in the, the New Living Translation of God's Word, and, and they, they, uh, they define the... the uh, Greek here as God's chosen people who are living as foreigners. Then those of you who are King James lovers and so forth, uh, it says to the pilgrims, you know, here on earth. And so we get the idea that we are strangers in this world. We are foreigners here. We're just living here for a season, just for a time. 
This is not a permanent deal, you know. Don't put your roots down too deep here that you forget where you're really going because we're just pilgrims, you know, and we're on a journey and we're going somewhere. I think we get the idea that God has a foundational truth of Scripture to embed in our lives. It's that we are on our way somewhere else. This is, this is our, our, our launching pad towards what is to come. Hallelujah. And that is eternity with Jesus. Now, every one of us in this building is traveling to eternity at the rate of 60 seconds a minute. And nobody can slow that down. That is happening, and I'm going to tell you, every one of you will step into eternity faster than you thought you would. It's going to happen. We're all going to eternity, and the Lord wants us to be reminded of that. Now, with retirement, one of the things that I've enjoyed doing is doing some things that I didn't have the time or take the time to do uh, before I retired. And I always read, but I have really taken time to read since I've retired. And of all the books that I have read over the last year, the vast majority of them have, have had to do with the subject of end time events or of prophecy. My spirit has been drawn to the subject of what's about to happen upon this earth. What's, is something, there's something within us as believers that's beginning to stir within us that says, you know what, something's fixing to happen around here. And we better know what it is and we better get ready for it. And so from that reading, God began to stir within my own spirit to bring this thought to you, to bring this subject to you, just by way of remembrance, because I know most of you know this, but just to remind you that this world is not your home and that Jesus is coming again. He's coming again very soon to get you and me who are his own. Now you move over to the book of Acts and the first chapter, and Dr. Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, he he starts it out by, by sharing some of the last thoughts of, of Jesus before he ascends back to heaven. So he's died on the cross, he's risen from the dead, but before he goes back to heaven, before he ascends, he shares with, with his disciples, with his followers, some very important last words. And, and through there, he's talking about the power of the Holy Spirit. You've got to have the power of the Holy Spirit within your life. Your church will not amount to anything. Doctrine's not going to do it. Uh, uh, music's not going to do it. Uh, the, the latest and the greatest is not going to do it. It's got to take the power of the Holy Spirit flowing through the lives of God's people. That's what's going to make a difference. That's what's going to turn the tide of the world. And after he gets done encouraging them to seek for the power of the Holy Spirit within their lives, this is what happened, beginning with verse number 9. After saying these things, he was taken up into a cloud while the disciples were watching, and they could no longer see him. As they strained to see him rising into heaven, two white-robed men suddenly stood among them. Men of Galilee, they said, why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you and into heaven, but someday he will return from heaven the same way you saw him go. I want you to see that last part again, folks. That's God's word for you and me today. Jesus is coming from heaven just like he left. He is coming back, and just as he fulfilled the promise of his first coming, he's going to fulfill the promise of his second coming to get his church, and I can't wait. If there's anything that God wants you to remember 
as you continue through 2019 and you get into 2020 should Jesus tarry and, and however far beyond that is that Jesus is coming. No matter how long you live on this earth, this is not your home. You're going somewhere. And he wants me to remind you that he's going to rapture his church. And it feels like it's going to be very soon. This is what Jesus promised in John 14. He says, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again. That where I am there, you may be also. And this is the promise that he has made to you, to you and me, that he is going to come to, again. So today, I want to share just three simple truths with you that the Bible reveals about this vital subject called the rapture of the church. If that term is a new term to you, I hope by the end of this message, you'll understand what that means. If it's one that you've known for years, you, you've understood the term, I trust it will be enlightened to your soul even more than you've ever had before because this is, a, this is a reality and this is going to take place really, really soon. The first thing I would say about the coming of the Lord is this. It's going to happen very unexpectedly. When he comes, it's going to be a very unexpected thing in the lives of most people. The world will be totally caught off guard by his coming. Those who are looking for his return will see him come. Only those whose hearts are yearning for his return will see him come. The Apostle Paul told Timothy that eternal reward is reserved, 2 Timothy 4.8, for all who eagerly look forward for his, to his appearing. In Matthew chapter 24, Jesus said, So you too must keep watch for you do not know the day your Lord is coming. And understand this, if a homeowner knew the exact time when a burglar was coming, he would keep watch and not permit his house to be broken into. You also must be ready all of the time, for the Son of Man will come when least expected. And so Jesus uses the analogy here of a burglar breaking into a home and stealing from that home. And he says the obvious, if the homeowners had known that the burglar was coming, they would have stayed home and they would have prevented the theft. And that's, that's an understandable thing. But the problem is you don't know when they're coming. In fact, they, they case the places where they're going to hit to make sure that the probability is you won't be around when they come. They have it all worked out and thought out. Carrie and I, 35 years ago, experienced this very thing. We came home from a Sunday night church service. Back in the days, you had Sunday night church. Came home from a Sunday night church service and only to find that our front door had been kicked in. You could see the shoe print on the door. And we walked in and our house had been ransacked. I mean, stuff was everywhere. Walked into the kitchen, every drawer, every cupboard, every one of them had been pulled out and dumped. Every, at plates and, and pots and pans everywhere all over the floor. It looked like a tornado had, had hit that area of the house. Uh, walked in, into the girls' rooms and not too much happened in there, but we walked into the master bedroom, same kind of thing. Everything was everywhere. They were looking for all these fabulous jewels that Carrie has. She has these gigantic diamonds that they were looking for to, to be able to steal and take for themselves. The problem was she was wearing them at church. 
They, if they wanted them, they needed to come to church and rob from us there. They would have got a great hall. That, no, she didn't. We don't have any of that. We don't even today have that. The only jewelry she has or the only valuable real jewelry is, is the diamond I gave her when we got engaged. You know, so there, it's, it's, you know, and that was on her finger at the time. But they came in and they just destroyed our house, you know. And you feel so violated and you feel so angry. You know what I'm talking about? And you say to yourself, man, you know, and I was young then. And I said, man, if I'd have been home, I'd have taken care of those guys, you know. Now I say, am I glad I wasn't home, you know. <laughs> uh, too old now to deal with that. But back then, you know, oh, I wish I'd have been home. I was a pastor, but I would have cleaned their clocks, you know. At least I thought I would have. But it, of course, it was God's grace that I wasn't home when they, or that I didn't come home and find them doing it. That's what I was hoping. Oh, you know, I, I was saying to myself, oh, I wish I'd have preached shorter. <laughs> could have been home and caught them. How many of you wish I, could, I would preach shorter and you could get home, you know? <laughs> There's a few carnal Christians in the, in the midst here that feel that way. <clears throat> I won't, I won't give the name, but her initials are Pat Mason. Uh, <clears throat> no, Pat uh, Nelson, I'm sorry. Pat Nelson. I, I, I defamed the wrong lady. <laughs> anyway, Pat Nelson, right down over here. God bless you, dear. <clears throat> yeah, there she is. And, you know, I thought to myself, we just got home earlier. I could have prevented, I could have walked in, I could have grabbed those guys, I could have stopped the theft, I could have stopped the, you know, all of that. But it was God's grace that we didn't go. Because who knows what those thieves would have done to me or to our family, our kids, you know, had we walked in on them, you know. So it was God's grace that that didn't happen. But still, you feel that way, you know. You wish you would have been able to, 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 to bring some sort of justice down on their heads, you know, for what they were doing to you. But Jesus uses this, and this is the point, and it's still a valid point. He uses this as an illustration saying, listen, just like that happens in the world, that the thief comes and robs when people don't expect him to show up. That's the way I'm gonna, it's going to be when I come back. People will not be looking for me. People will not be expecting me. And it, it'll be an unexpected thing when the rapture takes place. And, and you know, it, it's, so he says it's important that you stay ready. Now, I have actually heard people, I've had Christians, to, not Christians, but you know, backslidden Christians, tell me, well, you know, I know I'm not living for God the way I should, but I know that there's going to be a trumpet that sounds before Jesus comes back for the rapture. And when I hear that trumpet, I'm going to get things right with God. Right then, so I'll go up in the rapture with all the rest of you. Well, good luck. And the reason I say that is because the Bible also reveals in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that this is going to happen in a moment in the blink of an eye. King James, in the twinkling of an eye. In other words, let's just say that you're an unbeliever and you're talking to your Christian parents or you're talking to your, your Christian uh, co-workers or you're talking to your Christian uh, neighbors or whatever, but you're an unbeliever, but you're just having a good discussion, a fun discussion about how the Broncos are going to win the Super Bowl next year and, you know, and you're just really getting into it and, all, and you blink and your eyelid goes down and your eyelid comes back up and whoever you were talking to is gone. That's just how fast this is going to happen. You're not going to be able to prepare. You're not going to be able to cry out to God then and say, Oh, I, I made a mistake. Please, Lord, 
get me too. You will have made your decision before it happens. And, and this is the truth of God's word. It will happen within a blink of an eye. Now, some people, they wonder why the coming of the Lord is, is so instantaneous, so unexpected. Why, why won't God give, give more time for people to prepare at, at the last minute? Seems like that would be fair for the Lord to do that. But it's because the purpose of God in you and me is to transform our hearts into people that love him as much as he loves us. He wants us to be people who are deeply in love with him. He doesn't want to make you religious. He wants to make you alive. He wants to transform you from death unto life. Hallelujah. He wants you to know the joy of salvation here and now, leading to what is to come in the hereafter. And you know, being prepared for the rapture is nothing more than staying in love with Jesus, staying surrendered to Jesus every minute of every day. doesn't mean you're perfect. It just means you're holding his hand, and when you blow it, you ask him to forgive you, and you keep on holding his hand, and you keep on going on through the good times, through the rough times. You never give up. You're solidly, I have decided to follow Jesus. I won't turn back. I won't turn back. That's the, that's the decision that you make. And some people, you know, really struggle with that. They say, well, why, why does God insist that we, that we prepare ahead of time? Well, I'll tell you why. It's because he wants your heart. He wants your heart. Now, husbands, how well would it work with your wife if you only acted married when she was around? <laughs> I doubt that that would be acceptable. And we understand that on a human level, but then we wonder why God insists that he has our heart. Why does God insist that? Why can't, why can't we just be religious? Why can't we just go through the religious routine and that be good enough? It's because God is never interested in the routine. He's interested in your heart. He's interested in your soul. And when you give your whole, your whole soul, you give your whole life to Jesus, that's when he becomes Lord of your life, and that's what gets you ready for the coming of the Lord. Hallelujah. Number two. There will be signs before he comes. Now, we can't know the day or the hour of his return. But there will be signs, Jesus said, that will tell you, tip you off, that he's coming again and his coming is, is soon. Luke chapter 17, verse 26, Jesus said, When the Son of Man returns, it will be like it was in Noah's day. So when you go back to Genesis, chapter 6 in particular, you read about what it was like in the time of Noah. I'm not going to go back there. I'm not going to detail everything about Noah's time. You can do that on your own if you want. But basically, it was, a, it was a time of unprecedented violence. It was a time of unprecedented sexual license and liberty. And it was a time of total focus on personal pleasure. Me, 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 me. Everything was about me. So Noah's day was a time of total focus on pleasure, a time of anything goes. And God destroyed that world through a flood. But he, he preserved Noah because he was righteous. He was not of the world, and he preserved Noah. Now, we cannot know the exact day or hour when Jesus will, re will return, but we can know 
this season, we can have a sense in our heart that something's about to happen. Jesus said, when you see the world becoming like it was in the days of Noah, that's a real tip-off. That is a sign that things are starting to wrap up prophetically. It's a sign. Going back to Luke chapter 17, in verse 37, Jesus said, Just as a gathering of vultures shows the carcasses nearby, so those signs indicate, or these signs indicate, that the end is near. And so when he says that the end of near, is near, it's referencing, it's a reference to the beginning of end time events that they're starting to take place. Matthew 24, Jesus said, now learn a lesson from the fig tree. When you see its branches bud and its leaves begin to sprout, you know that summer is near. In the same way, when you see all of these things begin to happen, you know that my return is very near right at the door. He's close. And a lot of people they, in the world, they want to pretend like, Everything's still the same. All things remain the same. Uh, no, nothing's going to happen. Everything always works out. It always has. It always will. But do you know that that also is a sign of the soon when the attitude of the people is that we don't have to be concerned about these things. We don't have to be concerned about whether God will judge us. We don't have to be concerned about. Uh, how we live in our lives before God. We have to be concerned about any of that. That is a sign. Paul said in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, about the time everybody's walking around complacently congratulating each other, we've sure got it made. Now we can take it easy. Look at that word. Suddenly, everything will fall apart. It's going to come as suddenly and in, inescapably as birth pains to a pregnant woman. The New King James Version puts it this way. Then sudden destruction comes upon them. So we cannot know the day. We cannot know the hour. But we can read the signs. And we can sense what the Spirit is saying. And what I'm hearing from God is get ready, get ready, get ready. Jesus is coming. He is coming very soon. And that brings me to the last thought, this, this whole thought about the rapture. What's going to happen in the rapture? What, what happens when the rapture takes place? Well, for those of you who are ready, the rapture will unite you with your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He will come in the air, and a trumpet's going to blow, and the redeemed are going to hear that sound. And the Bible says the dead in Christ will rise first. In 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse 17, he says the dead in Christ shall rise first. And then we who are alive and remain upon the earth shall be caught up. That's the word rapture. That's where we get the word rapture from. They shall be caught up and so shall they ever be with the Lord. Now, if you say, well, I've read those scriptures and I don't find the word rapture in there, you're correct. The word rapture is not in the Bible. The word rapture is a Latin word, which is a Latin definition of the, the Greek of that little phrase, caught up. So the Greek, in the Greek that says caught up in Latin, it's the word rapture, rapturo, actually, just put an O on the end of it, and we shorten it in English to the word rapture. But it's interesting when you go back to the Greek, sometimes, you know, languages, 
In, in one language, it, it can be, a certain subject can be used with just one or two words, but if you get into another language, there's a whole bunch of words to describe the same. Just like, for instance, the word love. And I can say, I love my wife, or I, I love this church, or I, I love my hair, you know, um, all, all, you know, but we love on a different level, but in English, it's just the word love. But we intuitively understand that, you know, it's, it's, it's different for all of those. Well, when, when you go into the Greek and you look at this phrase caught up, we're going to be caught up, we're going to be raptured, there, there are varying degrees of definition in English. Uh, you can come away with this idea that it just means we're going to rise, but it means a whole lot more than that. So I'm going to give you five definitions out of Greek here. I got it from a guy by the name of Dr. Kenneth Weiss, who is a New Testament a Greek scholar. And he shares these very interesting insights into what the, the Greek phrase that we translate caught up in English, what it means. First of all, caught up means to catch away speedily. The idea there is speedily. Now, we already talked about that. That Paul says this is going to happen in the blink of an eye, in the twinkling of an eye. So the thought there is that this is going to be so fast, it'll happen and be done with before anybody on earth has any knowledge of what happens. That I mean, it's just going to be sudden, suddenly all these millions and millions and millions of people are gone. What happened? Well, who knows what they'll come up with, alien abductions or whatever. But it's, it's, going, to be, it's going to be a traumatic thing, all right? Secondly, the word means to seize by force. And from this, I get this understanding that God knows those who are his own. And there is nothing going to keep him from taking his church off of this planet. All the satanic opposition in the heavenlies won't in any way stop the, the flow of God's will being done. When that trumpet sounds, Satan can't keep you down. If you know Jesus, you are on your way up. Hallelujah. And you're going to forever be with the Lord. And that's what he is coming by force to take his own. Glory to God. Number three, it means to claim for one's self. Now, this month, a couple of weeks ago, Carrie and I celebrated our 47th wedding anniversary. And yeah, she's put up with a lot. 47 years with me. Now, I will tell you, when she walked that aisle and I took her hand and we made that vows to one another, I claimed her as my wife. She was mine. I claimed her as my own. She claimed me as her own. From that moment on, our commitment was to one another only on the level of man and wife. When Jesus comes again to catch away his church, he is coming to claim his bride. That's what we are. We are his bride. In fact, the Apostle Paul says when you get saved... He puts the, the Lord puts the Holy Spirit within you as a token, as an engagement ring, promising what is to come. You are wearing, we are, if you have Jesus and the Spirit of Jesus within you, it's like in a spiritual engagement ring, promising you what is to come in the future. He's claiming us for his own, so that when he comes back, there's nothing going to stop him. He's going to take his church to himself, and he's going to take him out, take us out of the world and, and claim us to be his own, his bride, his church. Number four, it means to move you to a new place. Hallelujah. 
I love the mountains here. I miss the mountains in, in Kansas City where we live now. I love the mountains. I love being around my children, grandchildren back there, but I miss the mountains and I miss uh, the weather here. We've grown to love the tornadoes back there. And uh, we sit down there in our basement with my motorcycle helmets on. <laughs> we ought to take a selfie of that, honey, and let people see, see us doing that. But we had an F4 that went not too far from the Kansas City. I mean, it hit the outskirts of Kansas City about six weeks ago. You know, it did a lot of damage to a lot of homes, but thankfully it wasn't ours. But at any rate, we're going to move to a better place than Salt Lake City. We're going to have a better view than the Wasatch. We're going to have a, a, better, a better view than the Kansas wheat fields, you know. We're, we're, we're going someplace special. He's taking us to a new place. He made that promise, John 14. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare it, I'm going to come again. Listen, folks, he's been preparing that thing for 2000, over 2,000 years now. I can only imagine. I have not seen nor ear heard nor entered in the heart of man the things that God has prepared for them that love him. Hallelujah. I am looking forward to it. That's why we're called citizens of heaven when we give our lives to Jesus. We're not citizens down here anymore. I'm a good citizen in the United States. I pay my taxes, but my heart belongs there. My heart is his, totally. Now, and number five, this is the last one. That little phrase in Greek means to rescue from danger. So we will be rescued from what is going to come upon this earth. It's a time in the Bible called the Great Tribulation. Um, it's something you don't want to be around for. I don't have time to go into what all that's going to happen in that seven-year period of time. After the rapture of the church, there's going to be a great tribulation for seven years upon this planet. It's going to be worldwide. Um, you can read about it in Revelation chapter 6 through 18. It'll tell you all about it. It'll be a time of unbelievable horror. It'll be a time of unrelenting evil. Things that you cannot even conceive in your mind will be taking place during that time. Because Satan's going to have his way. God's going to pull the restraint back and let people have what they've asked for. You say, why will God do that to people? God doesn't not doing that to people. They're doing it to themselves. They're saying, we don't want you, God. God says, okay, I'll step back and let you have what you want. And this is what you're going to get. And it's going to be called the Great Tribulation. There's going to be a one-world government that will form. And I think one of the reasons that government will form is because of the chaos that will happen after the rapture when millions upon millions and millions of people, world leaders, there will probably be some politicians that go in the rapture. Um, there might even be a lawyer or two. I don't know. Um, and, you know, there might even be a pastor. I'm not sure on that one, but I, I'm thinking so. It might be even, but when all of these millions of people, ranking officials, just common folks, are suddenly gone, the world's going to be thrown into chaos. And it's going to desperately need someone to bring order to it all. And the Bible says there's going to be a man of, of great deception, of intrigue, who's going to rise like cream to the top. And everybody will turn to him to be the savior. And he will, he will rule a one world government. A, one, a government that rules the entire world at that time. And then Jesus will come back at the end of that seven years and he will destroy Antichrist. 
and will put him down and he will begin his thousand year reign upon this earth and it's after that he's going to start it all over with a new heavens and a new earth that's never had the touch of sin in it anywhere. It's going to be marvelous when he gets done. But right now, we're, we're just seconds away from the coming of the Lord and the rapture of the church. You say, Pastor Jim, is Jesus going to come today or this week or this year? I have no idea. But I do know he has said, you be ready in case I do. Get yourself ready in case I do. Well, I'll take care of that later. But you know, the Bible says over in 2 Corinthians 6, now is the time. Now is the day of salvation. The most important question that you've got to answer today is this. Are you ready? Now, some of you are here today and you've never heard a message like this before and you've never given your heart to Jesus. But the Spirit of God is dealing with you right now and saying this is truth and you've got to get yourself ready. If you don't get yourself ready, when Jesus returns, you will be left behind to face that great tribulation. And you will remember this sermon and you will say, why didn't I respond when I had the chance? But there are others of us here today that you've walked with God, but you've taken it for granted, and you've grown lukewarm in your walk with the Lord. You've let the cares of life begin to dominate you. And Jesus said in Revelation chapter 3, some of you are hot and some of you are cold but I'd rather you be hot or cold, but some of you are lukewarm. And because you're lukewarm, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. Being lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, is dangerous. Get it right with God. I'm not talking about being perfect. I'm not perfect. But I am talking about committing your life fully and completely, surrendering yourself to the Lord Jesus Christ. Would you bow your head, please? If you have never known Jesus as your Savior, I want to give you the chance in this last moment to make that decision that should the rapture happen this afternoon, you'll be ready. This is Pastor Eric. Thanks so much for checking out our Life Church podcast. We pray that it's a blessing to you. For more information about Life Church, check us out at lifechurchutah.com.